and he just comes through and like takes him out, right? And I love the fly scene with the with the uh, with yeah with the chopsticks, right? And he's just so that's so great, right? And and of course who who doesn't love the moment at the end when he goes for the crane, whatever it was, right? And and then that remember that one guy in the background screaming, yeah, take off his head or whatever it was. You love that scene. So anyway, so so the thing about that I love about Karate Kid is that it teaches such a great lesson about preparation, doesn't it? Because in in this idea of preparation. You remember, like, Danielson gets his butt kicked, and that Mr. Miyagi does his own butt kicking, and then Danielson wants to learn about getting some butt kicking, right? And so, so he asked to teach me, and so he comes in. What does he have to start doing? Like, washing cars, right? It's, such, it's brilliant, right? Washing cars and, and painting fences. So he's like the wax on, right? The wax off, right? How many of you ever used wax on, wax off, this in random life? I use it all the time, right? So you get, yeah, but up and down, right? And so the idea was, so Danielson, remember the part, like he gets to this point, it's like, this is so lame, I'm doing all of your chores for you, and I'm not learning any karate, right? And, and he goes, Danielson, you know, get ready, I'm going to punch you, and then you wax on, right? And he waxes on and like knocks the hand out of the way, wax off, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is brilliant right you can do my work and learn how to do karate it's fantastic and so we, we figured out how do i do this in my stuff of life right and so anyway so we got this whole preparation that's going down danielson learning through this stuff that seemingly is completely disconnected to the subject matter all the way across the board Wax on, wax off is actually learning how to play, learning how to play, learning how to do karate. You don't play karate, you do karate, right? And so learning how to do karate. And so in this, I've been thinking about this series that we've been in, Empowerment, because I look at what we've been covering for the last six weeks, and it's like we're doing wax on and wax off. Because we're sitting here talking about what does it mean to be a servant, right? We're sitting here talking about humility. And, and, I, and I'm hearing lots of great reports. People are coming back and God's really moving. I've gotten, I got two texts from, I got, I got two uh, emails this week from different states, from people who were part of Ventu who were listening and God is moving in their life from a distance. So obviously God's doing something and the, and the message is doing something in our series and I'm thankful for that, right? But I, I look at it and I talk about being empowered and I don't know about you, but I think about butt kicking honestly right i think about i think about literally like literally doing my life and seeing god's power move in my life through my life seeing god do supernatural things and and we're sitting here talking about well jesus needs to be on the throne of your heart you need to be living humble don't be proud you need to become a servant of all and, we're, and we kind of like are almost like we're belaboring these points But I want you to hear me say very clearly that I believe that preparation, the wax on, wax off. Listen, Danielson would have not been able to do karate if he had not prepped. And I believe what we're doing in this in this these first several weeks is preparation. It is this building a foundation that can literally withstand the movement of God's power in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I've been in part of a lot of churches and seen a lot of churches with a lot of people who abuse their power and end up abusing people and end up going from seemingly God moving and doing great things to all of a sudden their church and their own lives being dead and dormant because I would say that they went after power without building a foundation that could withstand the movement of God in their life. 
And so I want you to hear me say, if you've not listened to any of the messages that are all on podcast, I would encourage you to do so. Scott had a couple very important messages along the way. I spoke some messages that I think were very important along the way, this idea of being empowered. Because here's the thing. God is looking for a church that can be empowered for his purposes. And he looks around and we know he doesn't find many because we don't find many moving in his power. We just don't. We don't see God moving in power in the area of salvation linked with discipleship. Like, I'll be completely honest with you. It's really easy to preach a message and get someone to pray a prayer. It's really difficult to disciple them to maturity. And there is no salvation apart. Listen, all of my good Baptist friends, I grew up in Baptist church, and I lament, along with my good friend David Platt, we talked a couple weeks ago, right? I lament the, the, the people who have prayed prayers and are probably dying and going to hell. Because they thought all they had to do was pray a prayer and that would get them into heaven. And there was no discipleship to actually grow them and to mature them into the likeness of Jesus. And so they sit in church every Sunday, don't know Jesus, aren't walking with Jesus, aren't producing the fruit of Jesus, which means they actually don't know him. And so we want to be empowered to not teach you how to pray a prayer, but how to walk into maturity as a Bible-believing, walking in the Holy Spirit, listening to his voice, and following every day type Christian. And so it takes power to lead people into the fullness of salvation. Praying a prayer and then walking with Jesus and teaching them how to hear his voice. It takes the power of God to produce the fruit of his spirit, to love people when they're not being nice, right? To, to experience joy when there is no happiness in my life, right? This is the power of God doing this work and this movement in my life. It's the power of God that literally en- enables me to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, to, to move with a gift of discernment, to know something's going on in this person's life. I was talking to Scott this morning. We were just talking to get the discernment, to speak in people's lives, and just stories even this week that have come out of prophetically, or to get the discernment, speaking to someone's life, and now like God's broken in their life because he expressed the love in that way. God's power being manifest. And I go to churches, and all they do is focus on a good production. And they make sure that you're happy and your coffee's hot and, and all the lights and are perfectly right. And you've got the fog machines going on and loud, loud music to make you feel it because they want you to feel stuff. And I wonder if we are a church that God looks at and says, hmm, you have the form of godliness and the form of power without it actually. And so we've been building a foundation. Why? Because we want to give you wax on, wax off abilities that actually enables you now to receive the power of God and then manifest it in your life. I don't know about you, but I'm around people all day long. I want to see God's power move through me or anybody else to move in their life. Do you know anybody who you want to see God's power move in their life because they need it desperately? Are you satisfied not being that person right now? Let's not be. Must not be. We want to see God's power move. And one of the great tensions that we face then is with power is people who who have faulty foundations and it begins to destroy them. One of the prime people we see in Scripture this happened to was Simon the Sorcerer. Remember that story in Acts chapter 8? We're going to kind of look at this this morning. But in the Scripture tells us that Simon had some form of power. He was a sorcerer. He would do sorcery. We don't know what that looked like. We don't know what he did. But we know whatever he did in that day caused people to act. 
actually want to follow him and called and they called him the one with great power as he willed some type of witchcraft and enamored the locals. And he was carrying some type of power and some type of influence. And do you know what the scariest thing is for a person who is carrying power and influence? You know what the scariest thing is for them? Losing it. Losing power and influence, right? They lose that power, they lose that influence, and all of a sudden whatever in their mind define their identity wrapped up with power and influence goes away and here they are left like uh, clamoring. And so we pick the story up in Acts chapter 8 where we see this reality happening in the life of Simon. In this moment, right, a time of influence and power in Simon's life, the great dispersion, they call it the diaspora in history, right? The great dispersion happened in Jerusalem. People came against Christianity, became against Jesus followers, and all of a sudden the church was like a shotgun spread out. And they went north, south, east, and west. And so we find the great dispersion happened, and Philip goes into Samaria. Philip was a disciple. He was the one we talked about last week, I think, who, had, who went to the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that story? And goes and shares the gospel with him and gets him baptized. They roll around the mud puddle, we said, right? And all of a sudden he gets translated to some other town called Azotus or whatever it was, right? It's crazy stuff. So you got Philip. Philip is a man after God's own heart. He believes God for things. He's walking in faith, right? And so Simon has this life of influence. And then Peter comes on the scene. Excuse me, Philip comes on the scene disciple of Jesus and he becomes he comes in preaching the good news of Jesus and expressing the power of Jesus scripture tells us with great signs and miracles like don't just kind of paint over those like Philip comes in and sees the people in need and he recognizes the power of the gospel and the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and, and in the, the giving of the spirit at Pentecost. And so he comes preaching the full gospel of, of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' ascension, and then Jesus sending the Holy Spirit. That's the full gospel picture, right? So he comes preaching this message. And it says in the moment that something interesting happens. They hear the message. Simon hears the message and they believe. And so in the moment, right, the apostles who, wherever they are, they hear the good news. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? The gospel has been shared and received by the half-breeds, the Samaritans, right, living in Samaria. This is crazy. Peter and John go, we've got to figure, we gotta see what's going on here. So they hop on their donkeys, or they begin to run or walk. I have no idea what they do. It doesn't tell us. And they become down. We pick up the story in verse 15. You can read along with me. It says this, Acts chapter 8, verse 15, going to verse 19. When they arrived, Peter and John, they prayed for the new believers there. They might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now we read that and we think this is noble. Oh, maybe it's just his immaturity. He thinks he can give it because he, he just wants to have this to give it away. But, but this is not true. There's nothing noble about his intentions. 
Something is wrong with his asking and his desire for power. And Peter responds very clearly as such in the next few verses when he says, picking up in verse 20 of the end of 19, going to verse, or verse 20, he says, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. In the context of this desiring of power, right? Repent of this or turn away from this sin, this wickedness, it says, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and that you are captive to sin. So the great danger when talking with the pow- about power, is the very issue we see in the life of Simon. Ultimately, one word could sum it up. It's his, it's his pride. It's his pride, right? In, in, the, in the most simple form, pride can simply be defined as the exaltation of self over another. We understand this, right? We all understand pride. We intuitively understand it. We express it to other people and don't think about it, but when someone expresses it to us, we definitely don't like it, do we? When someone lives their life and they think that they are better than you and that you that they are more important than you and everything that happens in life, they kind of see it in the, through the lens of how it impacts them. They never think about you. That's pride and you don't like it, do you? We understand so this exaltation of self over another person so what we see here in simon very clearly is his desire to pay for this why so that he could receive in return again a level of power and of influence to lord it over people because he didn't want to lose that place in culture he lost listen he lost his identity all of a sudden someone not just one but several guys come along who have greater power and greater influence because all of Simon's followers have ultimately left him to become followers of this dead guy, Jesus, who now is alive. And he's left going, uh, what about me? And so we see in this, this tension in pride, exaltation of self, wanting to, to receive again this identity, Right? To receive this, to to have a a level of power that brings about great power and great influence. It exalts me, makes people think highly of me, makes people think much of me, makes people look at me and and to see me. And so in this moment, Simon is wrestling here. And we know that pride is dangerous. And I will say this morning, I believe pride is the primary reason we don't see God's power moving in our lives. Pride is the primary reason we don't see God and God's power moving in our lives. This self-exaltation, this idea of putting self first, my self-comfort, my, my selfish pride in that I do things not so that I can give away, but so I can be exalted and receive. Pride is dangerous. But I want to just look at three things this morning we can learn from, from Simon. Three things we see in Simon's life, and I'm going to take a takeaway from each of those that we can learn. Number one, power in Simon's life, power exalted self, not God. That's number one. Power exalted self, 
not God in Simon's life. In verse 9, it says this, Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. We see the self-exaltation. His power is about exalting self. So this use of power in Simon's life actually defined his identity. It made him someone great, and he loved attention. He used his power for personal recognition and for personal gain. Then in this story, in this scripture, right, we see this movement of, of God's power. We see it in the life of his disciples. We see it in the life of, of Peter and John. We see this movement, right? That Simon comes with an impure heart. Peter and John recognize it. They call it out in him, but they're coming with a purity of heart. And the scripture's silent on exactly what his motive is and exactly what his thinking is. But we can assume from what they say about his, his wickedness and his wicked heart, right? And his bitter and captive to sin. What we see we can, is that, that his purpose behind it was wrong, he wanted it for the, in, through the wrong purposes. The, he wanted it to, for his own personal gain. And so in this moment, we can imagine, we can imagine a scenario that Simon has the power, right, that's endeared him to people. He has influence and power. And along come these guys who have greater influence, greater power. Simon's drawn to it. He wants it for himself, but his motives are impure. He wants it not so he so, so he wants this so he can regain what was lost, not so that he can help those that are in need. He wants to be the center of attention. He wants to be known as someone with power, someone with influence who can lord it over people, a domineering type personality. Scripture tells us in verse 21 that. This desire, this unholy desire, literally disqualified him from having a part or share in the ministry because the motives of his heart were impure. He didn't have a foundation. He didn't have a foundation of wax on, wax off that could withstand the power that God was able to pour out into his life. So our takeaway this morning in our pursuit of power is this, our motive, this is takeaway number one. Our motive for empowerment must be to exalt God, to make much of God, to have people tell God's story. And then we must quickly fade away from view so that Jesus can be seen. Like, I just wonder in life, when you think about God's power, you can leave it on the screen for you can leave it up on the screen, Rob. Like, when you think about power in your life. Think about expressing God's power, the movement of God, and, and we get all excited about that. And we think about the people who have expressed power in your life spiritually, and, and then now something is going on, like, and they kind of get askew. I wonder if it's because there wasn't this period of time built, building a foundation, spent building a foundation so that power could actually, they could actually handle it because they didn't exalt self and pride, but they exalted God and here, that's what we have to get our motives for empowerment. We said right here must be to exalt God, make much of God. Have people tell God's story and quickly fade away from view so Jesus can be seen. In your pursuit of power and the moments you've expressed it in life, how good of job do you do at automatically deflecting to Jesus? Or do you honestly kind of receive some of that praise and kind of honestly kind of puff yourself up because you like that? 
Second thing we see in Simon was that power was for entertainment, not to love God's people. Power is for entertainment, not to love God's people. Verse 10 tells us the people that tells us people both high and low gave Simon their attention. Like he, he had their attention. They, they looked in when they had a problem. They, they came to him when issues arose. They went to him. He had this ability to express something and people were drawn to him. It was like an entertainment. He, he had their attention. He, he had their undivided attention. He was the focus of their attention. Simon loved this. He loved to entertain. He loved doing things that caused attention to be thrown his way and sorcery accomplished that. He entertained and people looked at him. But compare this with the power of the apostles. What are they hoping to accomplish with the signs and wonders they express? Like they come in. At, listen, they come in at risk of their lives. They've, the great dispersion was not because they came together as a, group, as a group of Christians. says, all right, now's the time to be obedient to Jesus and go out to all these different places, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. No, the, the authorities of the day said, we're going to do to you what we did to Jesus. And they went, oh, and so they all left and splintered out and spread out all over all the surrounding area. Go to Samaria. Philip comes down. It's not safe. Samaria is not that far away. He comes down at the risk of his life. He comes down where there's this moral disconnect because they are Samaritans. They are worshiping idols. And he is a good Jewish. He would still have called himself a good Christian, a Christian Jew, probably right in his life. And so this whole dynamic going down. And he begins to speak and proclaim the gospel and signs and wonders are expressed. Why? Because he wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring freedom and he wants to bring breakthrough. He wants to say it again. He wants to bring salvation. He wants to be healing. He wants to bring freedom and he wants to bring breakthrough. So the Samaritans could know love and be loved by God. They expressed power. Not for their personal gain, but for the sake of those who were dying, hurting, lost, and in need. It was sacrificial. Philip in Samaria, he's there, preached and expressed power in Jesus' name. He didn't come for shock and awe, but to bring people and to help people realize their need for Jesus and Jesus' love. Like, I think you could make an argument that all expressions, hear this, all expressions of God's power, all expressions of God's power is for the purpose of making a way for God to express his love to creation. Every reason, every purpose of God and expressing power in life, expressing power through you is to ultimately express his love and to woo and to draw people to himself for their salvation. Whether it's salvation from addiction, whether it's salvation from sin or just salvation because they don't know him. It's ultimately to woo people to him, to express his love. So takeaway number two, 
Our motive for empowerment, this is a wax on, wax off moment, right? Our motive for empowerment, building a foundation, must be to express the fullness of God's love so that those who are in need and are far away can know him fully. When you think about power, you think about empowerment, it's this motive. God, is my heart pure? Is the motive, my motive for the, for the movement of your power in my life, is it to express your love Fully and sacrificially so those who are in need and far away can know you fully. Why do I want power? Is my heart pure? Is my motive healthy? Is my desire for it right? Wax on, wax off, paint up, paint down. There's this building of a foundation that we can withstand the unlimited expression of God's power in our life. Third thing in Simon, power His power was to lord over, not to serve people. All these are very similar, right? Power was to lord over, to be domineering over, not to serve people. Verse 11 says, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery, right? Having followers for Simon represented power, power over people to lord over them, to have them eating out of his hand. People love power, right? They love to domineer over people. But the power of God in Jesus and his disciples was not this way. Don't forget, we've already read this, Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Jesus, red letters speaking, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Listen, we can read that verse all day long for the next year and dive into it and allow it to saturate us and allow Jesus to speak to us through it. And every day we'd be a better person because of it. Because if we lived our life every day saying... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. My pursuit of greatness is not wrong, but how I'm fleshing it out is wrong. I want to be raised up and deified, right? To be glorified, to be exalted, to be seen at work and at home, wherever I go and at church, right? But if I would recognize my primary calling in God to become great is simply to bow down and become a servant, right? So verse 27, whoever wants to be first... Must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, you recognize the goal of power in Jesus's life, his goal his understanding of his empowerment was to be empowered to serve. That's crazy. Like he was empowered not to exalt himself. He took off his robe, he washed the disciples' feet and said, listen, I've modeled servanthood for you, so now you, sir, you, you model the same for everybody else. You want to be first and great in the kingdom? Then become the servant of all, become a slave. This is, this is a paradox, because I go to leadership conferences, and it's all about kind of this this like top-down view. You need to go to those who are underneath you and blah, 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 right? Make sure they honor. Make sure they listen. Make sure they do what they say. And, blah, 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 blah. and then Jesus is saying, if you want to be a great, a great leader in the kingdom and be high, then you do an upside-down kingdom. Put yourself at the bottom. You become the one people step on as they go for greatness. Become a servant of all. Jesus is saying this. I didn't come to be served, crazy kids. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom 
For many, the goal of power for Jesus was servanthood. He was a servant. He sub- Listen, he submitted himself to God. He said, not my will, but yours be done. You use me and never how you want to use me. His gifts, his resources, and the best of himself daily were given to God so that God's love could be expressed through him. I would say that 30, the 33, um, ever how many years exactly Jesus lived were ultimately for the purpose of receiving and expressing God's love to those who were in need. They were servants. He expressed power for the purpose of expressing God's love for people who were in need. Story, the story here, Philip, Peter, and John are expressing the same thing, coming down in fear, right? But serving by meeting the greatest needs of the people they were ministering to. Our takeaway, it's real simple. Our motive for empowerment must be to serve rather than be served. How well do you do at serving? Do you prefer as a lifestyle to become a servant of all and you love it with everything inside of you? Or do you say, uh, service, I love serving for a moment. And then I like, to, I like people to make sure they know that I did it and tell me how thankful they are for it. Everybody's like, uh, that's not me. Uh, let's turn next door. No, it's all of us. Right? Nobody enjoys that. But Jesus is saying, if we're going to wax on and wax off and be prepared for a type of power that literally changes the world, then you have to love being a servant. And listen, we've already said this in the previous weeks, but I'm going to give you it again. The only way you can love being a servant is by looking at Jesus, becoming enamored by him, seeing that he is a servant, and then loving him enough to say, God, I just want to be near you and that's enough. I will give my life away so that everybody else can see what I see. And I'm not going to be satisfied in my life if my neighbor doesn't see what I see. I will submit myself to express, to receive your love fully so that I just want to give it all away and serve every day of my life. Live at the bottom of the upside down kingdom and become a stepping stone for every single person so they can be great in life. Our mandate, our motive for empowerment must be to serve rather than to be served. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 gives his disciples what I see as a prescriptive action to keep their hearts pure in this tension. I think it's prescriptive in nature. I believe they come and say, I'm having a hard time with this. And he says, let me write you a prescription real quick. So he writes it out here in Luke 10, verse 17 through 20. He says, Jesus has sent the 72 out, the 72 disciples out. He says, I give you authority to proclaim the gospel, to cast out demons and to cure diseases. And so they go and they return in verse 17. It says the 72 return with joy and said, Lord, woo, even the demons submit to us in your name. Stop there. Even the demons submit to us and they're coming and celebrating the power that's in their life they're celebrating the power they have over demons a very a demon possessed person walks up they say in the name of jesus i command you to be cast out this person to have freedom the person shakes the demon comes out and they're coming back saying lord even the demons as we speak in your name the demons submit to us and jesus replies I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Talk about ultimate submission. Hey, that's great that the demons submit. I watched Satan submit to me as he fell from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, however. This is the the prescription. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Leave that up there. Submission of the enemy. Leave verse 20 up there. Yes, thank you. Submission of the enemy was not what Jesus wanted them to be enamored by. The power that they exerted was not what he wanted them to be enamored by. He wanted them to be caught up and enamored by the power of Jesus. It's like, listen, I saw Satan fall. It's the power I exerted. And I saved you, and you will now have a home in heaven. And you couldn't do anything to earn that. You want to talk about power. I took you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life. And if you want to live healthy, guys, prescription, if you want to live healthy in the context of my power, then you don't celebrate just the power. You celebrate that I have saved you. You don't just, you don't focus on your power that they submit to you. You, you recognize that I have ultimate power. Your eyes are focused on me and you recognize that my power is what saves. And so Keep your eyes focused here. That's what he's saying. He wanted to be caught up and enamored by the power of Jesus. Just this, uh, a couple days ago, talk about power being released. <clears throat> person at Vintage. person at Vintage was just like you. They're a person just like you, right? Like I know them, I know their insecurities, I know their faults, I know their failings, I know their difficulties, I know their frustrations. I know every, I know most, I know most, a lot of things going on in this person's life that would keep them maybe from being used by God with great power. And so two days ago, this is the person all of you have seen. This is a person you probably hug. This is a person that you've laughed with. This is a person you've heard stories about, right? This is a person that's just like you. They go to a car dealership. They're getting their oil changed. And they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a blood-curdling scream happens from just around the corner. And this person walks around the corner to see this person holding a lifeless child in their arms. And time for me to say, my daughter's not breathing. My daughter's not breathing. Please dial 911. And she lays the body on the, on the ground, this lady does. And someone walks over and says, there is no pulse. There is no pulse. This, this elementary age girl has just died two days ago at a car dealership. And everyone's pulling out their phones and they're all dialing 911. And our family member, our family member, she sits there and she just goes, oh. And she looks up at this woman. And they might make eye contact. And they immediately go to the floor, grab hands, and begin praying. It's this African-American woman and person of vintage, a white woman. And I watch as these racial barriers come down because they are always down in the kingdom. And these sisters begin to go after Jesus. And she said, Steve, we prayed. And I felt like it felt like a long time was probably like 40 seconds to a minute. And she said, this woman over here is praying in tongues. And I'm over here just praying and crying out to Jesus for healing. And all of a sudden, about a minute later, for no reason, the girl just sits up and goes, hey, mom. Right? And this woman goes, and this, they go, I needed a sister to pray with. Thank you, right? And they're like, yes. And they, of course, have the hug and the moment. And the mom of the girl looks at her and says, what, what were y'all doing? 
And this person looks and says, well, we're Christians. We believe in Jesus and we believe that he still heals. And we were just sitting here crying out for Jesus that he would heal your daughter. And she goes, I don't know what you were doing exactly, but I want to thank you. I've got to thank you. Thank you so much. This person gets up and goes to the counter to pay because it's time to go. And, and the guy, this guy on the counter looks at her and goes, okay, what, what were you doing? She goes, well, again, we are Christians and we believe that God still moves in power today and brings healing for those. And so we didn't know what to do. So we just went to Jesus because we knew he could heal. And so we just began to pray that God would, God would heal her. And this is what the guy said. Well, you know, I'm a Christian. But I never would have thought about doing that. I never would have thought about doing that. Listen, there are lots of questions. I'm like, well, what was going on with this person? And was she really dead? And was this person just missed this? Like, you can ask all the questions, right? We're really good at asking the, the well, what really, the really questions. But all I know, this person says, this person knelt down. This nurse was over her, felt her pulse. There was no pulse. She was not breathing. She was dead for at least a minute. They began to pray, and God moved. And people went from looking at the girl to looking at these two Racially diverse women, sisters of God, holding hands in prayer together, doing the work of God, empowered by his spirit. And she said to me yesterday, she goes, Steve, I, that happened, and I thought I'd be the last person that God would use. You see, when we sit here this morning... And we talk about power. I want you to recognize that there are moments every day that demand God's power because nothing else will work. Every single day, God is looking at his people saying, I'm looking for a people in a church. And I don't care what color your skin is. I want to move through my people. I want to move through my people in power. I want to do my work through you. And there are people who need it. If you would simply listen, if you would simply wake up and go, God, I am enamored by you. And I know what you can do. And I want to give you away. She says, Steve, those people went from looking at the girl to looking at us and we're like it was jesus you see when we talk about wax on wax off we talk about preparation the work of god my question for you is are you in a place where you actually believe and are taking steps into these moments because what would you have done in that moment are you taking steps towards the power of god being released are you believing him for things that only he can do or are you not are you afraid to believe are you afraid to take steps are we living in a place where it's like it's great talking about preparation but the actual stepping out into it oh i'm too scared to do that here are two things very practically i'm asking you to do this week i want you to put it in your phone i want you to write it down ask your spouse to remind to remind you or your child do not forget here's what i'm asking you this week two things number one i want you to keep your eyes open for moments that demand god's power and then in humility i want you to step into them if you ask God to give you those moments, he will be ready. Be ready. Don't say, listen, everybody hear me. Don't pray stupid prayers. Oh, God, if you just want to move through me. That's a stupid prayer. Because, of course, he wants to move. He saved you 
so you would go to heaven and then bring heaven on earth before you died. Pray faith-filled. Jesus' prayers. Oh, God, we're about to do something. Here we go. What are you doing today? Pray those prayers. God, this is a good prayer. God, I don't want to miss you. I'm going to keep my eyes, my head's on tilt all day long. God, I'm ready. I'm ready. Number two, what is something in your life right now that you know you can't fix but only God can? I want you to give yourself in prayer for it this week. Like you're desperate, like like a desperate and needy person. God, if you don't move, this won't happen. Can you name the thing? What is it in your life? What is it right now that's too big for you that that demands God's movement? And you come and say, God, I'm not going to. Oh, God, if you would, if, if you would just move. Don't pray that prayer. God, I need you to move. I need you to pour out your spirit. I tried. I failed. He's tried. He's failed. It's not working. It's not happening. We need your breakthrough. I'm not going to stop knocking Jesus because I know your power is real and you can move. God, I'm going to knock and I'm going to knock and I'm going to knock for continually until you move. But I'm not going to stop. Jesus, pray without ceasing. He says, let me give you a story of a woman. She prayed She knocked on a door and she would not stop until the judge gave an answer. How much more does God want to move for his children? Pray and knock and believe. So number one, you look, you keep your head like this every day. You say, God, use me. I want to be wax on, wax off, though. I'm prepared. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to name your name. I'm not going to focus on self. When the story happens, I'm going to worship you for doing it. I'm going to thank you that my name is written in the land's book of life. I will spend eternity with you, and that's the great miracle. We're going to have a celebration because you did this, but we're not celebrating me. We're celebrating you. And so, God, we're going to do that first, keep my head on tilt all week and expect that God's going to move because I am empowered because the spirit of God, if you're a Christian already lives inside of you, we don't pretend like he doesn't. When someone dies at a car dealership, you know, you're the person for the job. Not because of you, because no, we're never ready because of Jesus, because he's always ready. Number two, we're going to take things in our lives that are too big for me. And we're going to pray like this. This is how I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to pray. This is how, this is how I'd pray for you. Oh, God, you saw how I blew that again. My, my marriage is still struggling. This is not an actual prayer. Okay, it's hypothetical. We're doing awesome. <laughs> great, great love life. I mean, everything's great right now. Okay, all right? <laughs> That's right. But God, mm, marriage is struggling again. And you know, Lord, I keep, on, I keep on being part of the problem. And I'm trying to do something right, and I'm blowing it. And so, Jesus, I'm just coming today and saying, you have the power to, to deal with me. You have the power to deal with my spouse. You have the power to do this work. You have the power to bring reconciliation. You have the power to bring healing. You have the power. And so, Jesus, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray. You know, I'm praying for the next 50 years. I'm not going to give up, and I'm going to believe you. Whatever it may be, guys, that's just a specific thing, because I know I, this week I've, I've been really convicted by the number of marriages that are struggling. And so, God, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for your marriages. I'm praying for your marriage. I'm praying for every area of your life, right, whatever it may be. 
I don't know what it is. It could be praying for your child. It could be praying for an illness. It could be praying for salvation. I don't know. But I want us to be a people who say, God, I'm not going to give up. Because when I, here's the thing. When I look at Jesus, this is important, guys. When I take my eyes off of circumstance and I look to Jesus, I've said this before, then everything becomes possible. Because I see how powerful he is. I only think it's not possible when I take my eyes off of him and I look back at the circumstance. Listen, your feelings betray you. So Scott did a great job a couple weeks ago talking about our feelings versus what's reality, right? Our feelings betray us. I just don't feel. You say, but feelings then lead us. I don't feel it. So, Jesus, I thank you that even though I don't feel you, I know that you are more powerful, that you are trustworthy, that you are kind, you are compassionate. And so I will lean into you even though I don't feel it. And I'm going to believe. Daniel prayed for about 70 years. They were in captivity. 70 years he prayed, God, release us. God, release us. God, release us from captivity. He prayed and believed God, and God finally did. Time should not define how long you pray for something. You don't stop. We believe. And then when you have to, and some of you, you need to get prayer today. Some of you, you have these unmet expectations of doing that in the past and got God not doing what you wanted him to do in your timing. And so you turned your back on God, said the faith peace, the belief peace and trust peace of God. I'll just trust myself because that hurt too much to try to trust you for something. And all I can say to you is you need to look at Jesus again, ask forgiveness for that, and then ask him to heal you and then to release you again. Okay? Is everybody okay? You can clap if you want. I don't care. It's not for me. All right, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that we are empowered. We have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. God, the life that you called us to was the abundant life of doing what Jesus did. And so we come confidently this morning, Jesus, and we say, have your way in our midst. Lord, we pray this morning and ask, would you awaken us? Everybody hear this. This This is a prayer. I feel like God's speaking. God, would you awaken us this morning from slumber and apathy that has caused us to view the world we live in as our primary focus and not the things of God in our eternal life. Jesus, we live in dire times and the world's looking for an empowered church. And I praise you, you're not just doing this at Vintage, you're doing it all over the place. We just get to be one of the groups of people that you're raising up for these things. Holy Spirit, I pray today in confidence, God, break people free from the lies that they have believed, from the addictions that have held them down. God, from the from the apathy that has kept them down. God, from, from the fears that have handcuffed them. And I hope in their eyes today to see you, Jesus, so they can receive the fullness of your love. You can wash them clean, and then you can say, now watch what I can do through you. And you sit there together with them, and you celebrate your work in them. Father, have your way. 
face in Jesus' name. This morning we're going to respond in a couple of ways. Number one, we're going to have ministry teams available on both sides. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you're struggling with apathy, struggling with fear, struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with um, a disconnect with God because he seemingly failed you and you kind of turned away, we want to pray for this morning. Listen, the people that are coming forward, I love them. The Robertsons and the Deals, they are great people and they're imperfect. Thank you. They're imperfect. So that's great because I'm not a, I'm an imperfect person coming to an imperfect person. So they understand where I am, especially Simeon. My gosh, no, no, seriously. It's like there's this breakthrough that happens as we begin to be honest and vulnerable and let our walls down and let God move, right? We're going to be dishonest with the Lord. We want to pray for that. Come this morning. If you want to celebrate the Lord's Supper, listen, we're celebrating what he did. Listen, when we come, I'm not saying you have to cry, but I mean, it's like, and I'm not, I'm not pushing that on you, but I'm saying when we come, like, we should say, God, awaken me to the truth of what you've done that set me free, God, so I can be set free for you. Some of you need to come this morning and just repent. Like, say, God, I'm going to walk away from these things that are killing me, killing our relationship, and killing your power moving through my life. And I'm going to now run to you with everything I have. And you come to the, you can run, you run to the altar, right? Come to the altar and let God do this work. Be honest with Him. Be honest with Him. We're going to worship. I'm going to pray for us in a bit, and then we'll still still be people I'm getting ministered to. So we're going to stay for a little bit. So we're going to worship and pray. Pray for release. Pray for we be released to go, and then we're going to worship some more. Those of you who are new, offering baskets here. Come as the Lord leads. If you're not comfortable coming forward on your way out between those two doors, there's a metal box. You can lift it up and stick it in there. It'd be great. Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? All right, let's worship and pray. Your love has ravished my heart, taken me over, taken me over, and all I want is to be with you
Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we just continue to worship. But Father, we want to declare that you are good. Father, I pray to God for, uh, for our men this morning, Jesus. That, Lord, there would be an understanding of the response that you have and expect from them, God, to turn to you and to lead their homes. That, God, they would lead in these ways, Father, God, of, of believing in faith, God, and expressing power. God, I, I pray, and God, I, even from, as I pray for them, pray for myself, that, Lord, that as my children grow, the stories they will tell about me are not moments in a, on, the, on the golf course or fishing or in a Georgia football game. That they would tell the stories of me believing in faith and modeling for them what it meant to walk in power surrendered to Jesus. I pray, Father, you would convict our hearts this morning to recognize status quo is not okay. I pray, Father God, that you would raise this level of awareness, but also recognize the things you expect and call us to. You empower us, you anoint us, and you give grace for. We can't get there by ourselves. It demands your grace. And so it just means we lean into you and call out to you even harder, God, because we need you. And so, Father, I pray today, would you awaken our men to the areas, Lord, where they need to lead and to step out of their fear and their insecurities and come and be the man that you've called them to be, Jesus. And that you would convict them of sin today. You would convict them of apathy. And I pray, Father God, that you would move in their lives. Now, Father, we pray this in your name. Amen. You're released to go today. We're going to continue in worship. We're going to sing the song with great passion again, with great energy. And I promise not to fall on the way down the stairs this time. You guys have a great week. I love you.